Like I wish every single human being in the world can go viral then social media will be like a much better platform if everyone can go viral. Because once you stop like seeking the validation and you kind of like give yourself the validation, you start to be more productive. You start to be who you truly are. You know, like once your your focus shifts on the seeking to actually like being, the shift that for me kind of happened there. Cause I like, I'm guilty of it too. Like every post was like, how can I get people's attention? Like I was kind of like seeking it. And then once I kind of like got it and I realized like, you know, like I'm just going to post what I think. And if people like it and I get a platform, that's great. If people don't, that's also like, that that's great. Like it doesn't bother me. Like I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep posting it. Like it is I'm no longer seeking. I'm just kind of like putting myself out there, you know, like, again, like it's like vulnerability, right? Like a lot of people are afraid to be vulnerable in person online, right? Like if you can be vulnerable in person and online, then, you know, like vulnerability leads to like insane growth like a lot of people are just afraid of you know like i post something a lot of people think weird of me you know if i do something in public people will think weird of me again social media is just it's just an abstraction of of normal human uh social interactions right it's just through through a different medium instead of person to person you're doing through the internet i feel like if everyone can kind of have that that view on social media and stop taking things so seriously and kind of like trying to fit in a template i think uh social media would be much more productive and much more fun place with a lot less like toxicity involved you are now listening to the next iteration podcast with your hosts fuad and damien if you like the episode follow us on spotify and give us a review on apple Podcasts. our website was built by face solutions logo designed by charmeni and music by wonderly music we hope you enjoy the episode hello and welcome back to the next iteration podcast today's episode is with my good friend hisham uh, so Hisham is joining the Next Iteration Podcast team as head of growth. So we thought it'd be a great idea to start his career off here at the Next Iteration Podcast with an introductory episode. And he's he's a very good friend of mine. Uh, Damien's met him as well. Uh, but we want you guys to get to know the man, the myth, the legend. So without further ado, let's get started. Thanks for that uh, amazing introduction. I didn't know I was, I was also a legend. I knew, I knew I had some myths behind me, but... It's good to know that the legend also is applicable. Yeah, I know. I think it's mostly the miss, but, you know, I had to gas you up a little bit. But <laughs> Let's dive right in. What do you want to know? I mean, you probably cemented your legend status. Um, as people may know, recently you exploded. You broke the internet, which yes. is a accolade very few people can can boast. Um, I don't mean like, I don't know if this is the best place to start, but we could just jump into that, right? So how did you break the the internet? What happened with that? Absolutely. So I broke, a, I would say I broke a portion of the internet. Soon, soon uh, we'll be breaking <laughs> the entire internet with, with this podcast once we're done with our growth strategies. Love that. But, uh, the, the certain aspect that we broke was, was LinkedIn. So pretty much, as you know, if, if, you use, if you're an active LinkedIn user, you've seen the, the typical post announcing someone when they get an internship. It starts off with, I'm pleased to announce, and then a bunch of filler, a bunch of thanks, a bunch of shout outs. And there's nothing wrong with that. This is not to say that... Uh, you know, I think those posts have anything wrong with them, but there are certain times during the year, especially during recruitment season, is if you're looking for internships between January and May, you'll see these posts like absolutely flood and take over LinkedIn. And I was a part of a group of students that was basically looking for those internships. So specifically like big FANG internships, uh, FANG stands for like Facebook, Apple, et cetera. And pretty much uh, like I didn't get those internships and I was kind of bummed out about it. And every time logging into LinkedIn, I would see these posts 
And it's like, it's, it's inevitable. Like if you're chasing something and someone else gets it and they like proudly announce it, it does sting a little. It's not a thing of like, uh, like having a negative mindset per se, but it's more so like seeing someone get something that you wanted. Like it just naturally like won't leave. It won't make you happier to see it. Uh, and kind of like, it was just like a simple reminder. I kind of like, like I kind of noticed that in myself where like I was getting that reaction off those, those uh, certain types of posts. So I kind of want to make a post on LinkedIn for the other side, you know, for the, for, for the reminder that these positions, there's usually 30 positions, but 30,000 applicants, right? So there's only like 1% that's actually getting in. And that's all that you see. You don't see the 99%. That went through the struggle, didn't get it. And they have no one to sympathize with. And they're just kind of seeing the good, right? So I kind of go on to remind people of the bad, but I don't want to do it in like a, like a shitty, you know, like pessimistic way. Because I don't think that's a good way to do anything. So literally, if, if, if you ask Fuad, we all remember this, we were just sitting in the basement. And one morning I'm like, hey, like, like, what if we like, you know, like do like a satirical mock where it's like, it'll make people laugh, you know, like communicate what I wanted to communicate, but through humor. And like LinkedIn is not necessarily known for that. But recently I've seen a lot of people go down that path. So I said, you know, like we all sat down and like we had like a rough version that wasn't exactly that. Like it started with, uh, with uh, Spotify, I believe. And pretty much Fuad made the recommendation that to change it to Netflix and whatnot. And then kind of just like three, three brains sitting in a basement during quarantine teamed up together and made that post. Uh, That's combination. Knowing, knowing, yeah. knowing uh, the other two individuals that were involved, they were too afraid to post it on their LinkedIn because they want to protect <laughs> a certain image that you display on social media. So obviously the, the myth became the legend when he decided to post <laughs> it on his LinkedIn. And that's pretty much what happened. So we posted it. I honestly did not think anyone's going to get it, but like my friend group, anyone who's in software engineering. Uh, and then like one hour goes by, like it goes up a hundred. And I was like, haha, like that was a good, good run. Two hours. It's like triple four hours is quadruple. And then next thing, you know, I go to bed with it at like a thousand and I wake up and it's over 15,000. And we're like, shit, this is actually like getting out of control. And I knew it was out of control when you started copying the words of the post, putting it into LinkedIn search, and there'd be six replica posts oh, from yeah. like people all over the world. And again, like this is on LinkedIn. This is a professional site where you try to get a job and you're copy pasting posts. I was like, something, something's going on here. Something is wrong with, with the algorithm. And yeah, yeah. Like, it got like over like 600 reshares. People just resharing on their profile. It was going crazy. And it kind of just like, like it reminded me of, like how like fake social media was. So I told this to like a lot of people where it's like, like I wish every single human being in the world can go viral. Then social mm -hmm. media will be like a much better, much better medium. Like it'd be much better platform if everyone can go viral. Why because so? once like, because like, again, like social media, like you are trying to get attention at the end of the day, you're creating your personal, personal brand. Mm -hmm. You know, being good at the internet is a skill. And kind of like just figuring out like that's why because like once you go viral you kind of figure out the internet game so like just with, with like human to human communication like being good at the internet is a skill and mm -hmm. kind of like you, i think you solidify that skill once you get the attention that you seek and you realize like like attention can be get like you can get attention by being yourself you don't have to get attention by not being yourself and i feel like once you do that like that post again like it was it wasn't like it wasn't superficial. It was literally like, if you know me, like I like jokes, I like satire, and I like being real. And it was just like a combination of, of all three. And I posted something like like real, something that's like kind of reflects my personality. And people gave me positive feedback for it. 
And then I realized like, like, damn, like all this time I've been trying to like fit myself into a template of like LinkedIn posts should look like this, right? Like a LinkedIn post is punchline space, like punchline, uh, new paragraph, another line, and then three bullet mm-hmm. points, you know, like, it's always like a template. It's like, this is how it's done. This is how you do it. Mm-hmm. And like, once you like are able to kind of like get attention from just not doing the template, if I'm following, make creating your own template, you realize like, okay, like, yeah, like social media is not what you really make it out to be and kind of like not to get too caught up in, in the whole thing. Again, like like a lot of it was just like jokes and humor. A lot of people were taking a lot of the comments serious. Like people were offended by my posts. Yeah. Like, like, Tell yeah, us about your really, haters, bro. Tell us about yeah, the dude, How did you deal yeah. with all that hate? Yeah. So again, like like people were actually like like actually like pissed off at the post that I made saying, yo, they're like, this is ruining LinkedIn. This is not the purpose of LinkedIn. And like going even deeper to saying like like get a life like what is this like what are you doing on here etc. And like yeah like and, and I responded to all of them like like satirically humorally like they, they bothered me to to zero extent. Mm-hmm. But uh, like it was it was just very interesting to see like again like there, there's always going to be different opinions like no matter which you, where you're doing whether it's on social media whether it's in politics there's, there's always going to be opposition and you can kind of like butt heads and fight with people if it's the, if, if the fight is worth it, we have to pick your fights. Like I wasn't going to go in the comments and try to make a 50 year old who was mad that I made a funny post on LinkedIn, you know, even matter by, by going at it with him, but more so like just show, show this person or show the world, like how it's not to take yourself too seriously. And I would just make like a funny response. And pretty much that was, that was what the people liked. And I quickly picked up on that and pretty much started grasp responding to all the comments, like satirically and, and very jokingly. And uh, that kind of led led to more steam as people kept paying more and more attention to it. But uh, yeah, like that was a fun experience. Uh, definitely, yeah. definitely leveraged a lot of it, a lot of opportunities from it. Reached out to like a lot of people, met a lot of people, and kind of just used it. Like I started using it to kind of like meet people. Like again, today I said I talked to some guy like from Spain. Like I always wanted to work in Spain. Like saw some guy liked it from Spain, so I kind of talked to him about like life in Spain. Reached out to like you know, recruiters, directors, stuff like that, and kind of just, just gamed it that way. And again, mm-hmm. never once did I take myself too seriously. I was like, oh, damn, like, I'm LinkedIn famous. Like, I got LinkedIn clout. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's always like, it was always like I was dicking around and I got attention for it. And it's like, it is what it is type of, type of situation. I feel like if everyone can kind of have that, that view on social media and stop taking things so seriously and kind of like trying to fit in a template, mm-hmm. I think uh, social media would be much more productive and much more fun place a lot less like toxicity involved yeah i see what you're saying because it's almost like people are trying to tear each other down to get viral on social media and there's this pressure to like you know fit into this certain mold and that's the only way you get viral whereas like in your case it was it was literally a lesson in hey just do what you want to fucking do on social media people like it people like it people don't people don't and once everybody kind of has like the like i think to an extent there is that need for social validation on social media and that's part of what social media is and what you displayed was you got that social validation and what you're saying is once everyone gets that social validation you realize that it's not all it's cracked up to be and that's not really the purpose of social media right the yeah, primary so purpose of social yeah. media is expressing yourself so exactly like once you stop like seeking the validation and you kind of like give yourself the validation you start to be more productive you start to be who you truly are you know like once your your focus shifts on the seeking to actually like being it's like mm-hmm. it's like the shift that for me kind of happened there because I like I'm guilty of it too. Like every post was like, how can I get people's attention? Like I was kind of like seeking it, and then once I kind of like got it, and I realized like you know like I'm just gonna post what I think, and if people mm-hmm. like it, and I get a platform, that's great. 
if people don't that's also like that that's great like it doesn't bother me like i'm just gonna keep i'm gonna keep posting it like it is I'm no longer seeking i'm just kind of like putting myself out there you know like again mm-hmm. like it's like vulnerability right like a lot of people are afraid to be vulnerable in person mm-hmm. online right like if you can be vulnerable in person and online then you know like vulnerability leads to like insane growth like a lot of people are just afraid of you know like i post something a lot of people think weird of me you know if i do something in public people will think weird of me again social mm-hmm. media is just it's just an abstraction of of normal human uh social interactions right it's just through through a different mm-hmm. medium instead of person to person you're doing through the internet and there's a lot of like ups and downs i guess like the biggest one that for me at least like with work online that i've noticed is 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 i'm very bad i was very bad at the internet i guess per se or very bad at social social communication is because there's the gap right like when you're talking to someone in your life you're looking at them in the eyes you're communicating and it's an instant question response right but when it comes to yeah Yeah. instant feedback instant uh, like everything's stimuli reaction but when it comes to social media and and social communication through like like a like the internet it's Mm -hmm. you know you get the stimuli then you get a break to think and then you you get to respond and like Mm -hmm. a lot of people can view that as like a good thing it's like you have more time to, to slow down and think but I realized like personally is the more time I have to think the more anxiety set, the more, the more factors I try to analyze. Exactly. And the more, the more like anxiety starts to persuade and anxiety is just, you know, like your, your desire to control the future and not being able to. So like the more time I have to respond to like a message on a Slack, it's like the more anxiety I get. So Mm -hmm. I just stopped doing that. It became literally a thing. I I was talking to Flo about this the other day and he kind of like, like cleared a couple of things up, uh, me better where it's like you need to like like personally i find it better when i just don't think like it's like i get a response and the first thing that comes to my mind is the thing that i send because that's how i communicate like in real life like when i'm actually talking to someone (laughs) i don't i don't hear something and i'm like okay give me like five seconds let me think of a response and then i'll get back to you like you just get back to the person instantly and i think that like medium of, of of time to analyze can be good can be bad i think for me personally, again, like there's no one solution to anything in life. For me personally, I realize like that's a bad thing because mm-hmm. like I do, like I do just get a bunch of anxiety and I'm like, oh, like, should I really say this? So again, I'm not being myself. So when I take that time to analyze and I think, oh, like what does this person want to hear? What's the mm-hmm. right thing to say? Like I already, you already know that. Like your subconscious is built out for, for like 23 years. I'm 23 years old. Mm-hmm. It's been built out 23 years to do that analysis. So like you should trust in it. Like you should trust in your gut feeling and Hey, you will, you will say some stupid shit. You will say, you will make some mistakes. You'll ask stupid questions. Mm-hmm. But those are the best questions. Like from my experiences is like, like the fuck ups, the bad questions, the bad, the bad, the stupid things you say have the best results. Not like always, but you know, they tend to have the opportunity. exceptions. Exceptions. <laughs> <laughs> the exceptions, but like typically it's like the mistakes and like the, the things that, you went wrong and it's like why did I say that why did I do that and then you get that feedback and then you like develop your subconscious to like interpret that right like it's a so it's 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 stimuli reaction feedback repeat right like that's how it should mm-hmm. be and I think the breaks that exist on social media kind of like detriment that process and I think that's a big one that I, that I realized with this post kind of going crazy mm-hmm. so do you think that's different with the new generation that's growing up social media first because a lot of people you know in the younger generation are are in a world where they've always had that pause in interaction. Obviously, you know, they have in-person interactions, they had fucking grade school, you know, middle school, whatever it is. But by and large, like they've been interacting with their friends, like with that pause. And so do you think 
you you were saying how like for you it's more natural to kind of have that instant stimuli and like when you have that time to respond you start doubting yourself if you start overthinking you start having that anxiety you know it's different for younger people or no Mm, so i was actually reading about so like to answer your question i read an article recently where i was looking at the differences between reading in a physical paper book and reading an electronic book Mm -hmm. pretty much they did their study on and more so adults like people our age who grew up reading physical books and then converted to reading ebooks and they mm-hmm. realized for them retention was low but they made a point in the in the study to, to specifically mention that where it's like this was a switch from physical to electronic and they saw mm-hmm. a detriment so feeding back to the kids nowadays is i find that detriment because again i was used to the instant growing up and then yeah. i switched to the electronic and they also like so the the research paper like uh, stipulated that People who started off doing electronic will have better retention, like doing electronic and then switching to paper. So what mm. I think, I think that could be extrapolated again, like very, like very thin ice here that, that I'm saying this, but I think that can be extrapolated back to similar theme. Kids, yeah. Where it's like, if you grew up communicating that way, you've developed your subconscious and your communication metrics in your brain to work that way. Mm. I have not, I'm very used to like a different style of communication. Like if I want to communicate, like it has to be a call. Like I'll FaceTime you, like I'll get you on a meeting. Mm-hmm. I use text and an email to like persuade points and like give information to someone. Like if I need to give you like a piece of information, if I need to book a meeting with you, like I'll use I'll use text for that. Like it's like writing. Like, you know, like back in the day, you'd send a pigeon, you wouldn't send a pigeon saying, Hey bro, what's up? You know, you'd send a pigeon saying, like, I need you to come to this location, like this is happening at this mm-hmm. point. Like it's more so to to transfer information. And that's what I'm used to. I've tried to, to do the other side of things unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. And there's, and again, like there's no, like it's not saying that that's how things should be used. Like there's no single use case for, for social communication, but uh, like that, that's just with my personal experiences. It so mm-hmm. has, I mean, considering the, the new experiences, the new strategies that you have with interacting with social media, has it changed the way that your energy levels uh, like the state of your energy levels after you engage with it? Because for a lot of people, it's just draining, right? You spend a lot of time in social media. A lot of people just do it as a break from work or whatever, but you don't really get energized after that. In fact, it's usually draining because you're seeing this highlight reel that other people are putting up. And you're like, I mean, to your point, a lot of people themselves are just putting this facade online, right? And just doing it for likes. Has the, I guess, this epiphany that you went through changed the energy that you experience from social media? Yeah, absolutely. Like before I actually used to get, like, I would, like, I didn't notice it, but I started noticing it where like social media had a very strong influence to impact my emotional state, Mm -hmm. like how I react and see things. And it's like, you'll see someone, you'll be like, oh, like, that's so sick. Like, I wish I was this person. So like, now it's like, I literally just like, like, I just don't experience that anymore because of that realization. And it is a lot less draining. So like, I used to, I see like social media breaks, like detoxes and whatnot for that particular reason where it's like, I would see a lot of things on social media and I would see it dragging my energy down. And I guess my confidence and self-worth because, you know, it's like, again, like you see, like it goes back to like human tribal instincts. Like so it's all social and human interaction is just done through the internet where it's like, oh, like this person gets attention. So this person is doing something right. You know, like it's literally just like that. So it's like, you know, this person has followers. He's, you know, so he's obviously doing something right. So it's like, I try to like, fit myself to be like that person and you know like that's not who you are and if you keep pursuing that and you keep pursuing like a nature that's not your nature you're gonna end up 
with zero energy and you're going to end up feeling like shit and probably in like very terrible mental health states. Uh, so I noticed that once I stopped that chase and like that, like that metric, that way of valuing myself, it's like, damn, like I could not care less about what I post online now or like, mm-hmm. or like I just don't post things that I value that deeply online. And I use social media for what it is. It's a tool. Like it's, it's an online business card and that's what it is. It's not reality. Reality is this. Like, right there. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's not like, this is reality. Like it's like, when I realize like you shape your reality, that's like a big part that, that we'll talk about, I guess, like throughout uh, this podcast where it's like, it just gave me the realization that like, you know, reality, there's no such as reality. Reality is what you make it. It's what you choose. Mm-hmm. Like the decisions and, and reactions you make to, to what inter- like stimuli you get. Well, you do that choices. stimuli yeah, yeah exactly like there's a stimuli and then there's a processing and there's a reaction you know your reactions to that stimuli is what reality is you can try to limit the stimuli you know there's like three ways you can try to control the stimuli you can, can try to control what's going on in your head and you know try to control the reaction i think the best way is to control the reaction right like you can you can try to limit like all stimuli you can be like a hobbit or go become a monk completely eliminate like all all like you know worldly desires that come into into your into your brain or you can mm-hmm. kind of just like fine-tune your brain to react to things how you want it to react and once you do that then you're literally like defining your reality because like the mm-hmm. medium between you and reality is your brain and the more control you have over that the more control you have over reality and mm-hmm. the one thing you should absolutely not be letting control uh, affect your brain and and your reality is social media because i think that social media is a scam well is, is, oh, is it a scam, <laughs> social, media a scam? Is, social media is a bigger scam than online university <laughs> that's a bold statement i feel like online university is a pretty big scam <laughs> social media social media like again like it's just algorithms it's, it's it's people behind like if if like flood works out of social media right like he knows what's going on in the background right like he knows it's it's exactly like he knows like it's algorithms right it's people 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 driven by motives like social media is still someone controlling Social media still has to make profit. Like, do not forget, like, it's a business. It's not, like, it's not a utopian not a place. public yeah, utility. Like, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Like, that's not what it is. It's a profit driven business and they want to make profit and they want to keep you on and they want to keep you, you know, like thinking they want to, they want to hook you, right? They don't want to, maybe they do want to provide value. Some social medias absolutely want to provide value, but a majority of social media is they focus on the hook mm-hmm. and then the retention. And obviously, that's not what I'm on social media for I'm on social media to like gain value and you can convert your social media to that or maybe that we need a social media that's focused on purely value and I'm sure a lot have popped up or have not been successful because they can't drive a profit right so there's always that gap between yeah. profit and value and I think we're closing in on it like quicker and quicker and especially with Twitter I think Twitter does like an insane job at doing that and I spend like a majority like my most used social media is twitter for that reason i have like three twitter accounts with like multiple lists because like the value on twitter is insane like instagram i would say i don't get much value off instagram again is like a business card for meeting people for me like linkedin's a business card for getting jobs twitter is the one social media that i actually like consume information off of and kind of like follow like advice off of so what do you think makes again, twitter different uh well, if I knew that, then I would, I would release a company that would, that would be Twitter over. But uh, like I think Twitter is just more so. <laughs> As like, a user. Yeah. I think it's, I, I think it's the people that attracts and kind of like, so like what's interesting with, with Twitter that I kind of realized or came to realization to is it's kind of like a wild west. Like it's kind of like bare bone humanities, like the game Rust. 
like the game rest is basically like it's like you start off like a naked human being in like this virtual video game and your task is to like survive the longest and so you like team up with people so it just it's like that where it's like there's just like a bunch of people on this platform but there's no like subreddit for like with reddit there's subreddits for these groups of people but on reddit there's just like natural subreddits where it's like if you follow these groups of people you're mm-hmm. on fintwit if you follow these groups on twitter you're on you know the crypto part of twitter if you follow it's these organic. Of people, you're mm-hmm. on tech bro twitter exactly like it's organic so you kind of like don't just stay on one subreddit but you kind of follow people and you follow atmospheres and you become parts of groups that way naturally and i think that's that's how it is and that's what does it and i feel like a lot of people just like naturally go to twitter to kind of be more self-expressant to like express themselves naturally like i don't know why but it seems to attract like a group of people who prefer to express themselves in a much more like natural and open way mm-hmm. as opposed to like other platforms and uh the, the details behind i'll have to uh hand that off to you guys when you interview jack dorsey this summer to ask him those questions <laughs> uh definitely there's there's a secret sauce and like the, the just the crowd it attracts is definitely a more mature more mature crowd like Mm-hmm. Elon Musk is not on yeah. Instagram, you know, like the founder of Point78, like one of the biggest hedge funds in the world, tweets every day, but he's not on Instagram. He's not mm-hmm. on Facebook, you know? Yeah. And like the interactions you see happening on freaking Twitter is insane. Like Elon Musk is telling Dave Pornoy to run for for president. Like, mm-hmm. World's richest man is telling like one of the most powerful youth media people to run for president. You have like Elon Musk bickering with hedge funds on Twitter. You have like hedge funds bickering with crypto funds on Twitter. So it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, like it's value. Like, that's what I want. Like as a person who's into Bitcoin, I want to see, you know, the guy who hates Bitcoin talk to the guy who loves Bitcoin. And like, yeah, you don't see that on- too. Pardon? It, it seems to be like a platform that's centered around conversation more than anything else. Like with Instagram, it's uh, pictures, right? You post your content, you go mm-hmm. and people like it. That's pretty much it. But with, like with, um, with Twitter, it's the text It feels yeah. like the easiest for organic conversation to arise and any and that's the thing like it's open to anyone right like so long as you're not too too radical then you still have a place there you can still have a seat at the well table. everyone has a place there except one guy <laughs> so, yeah um, i think i think yeah you're right it's it's a combination of two things it's text-based it's conversational because it's short there's a character limit and so mm-hmm. because of that there's also a very low barrier to entry you can't create an insanely well-edited piece on twitter in the same way that, you know, on Instagram, you can spend hours and hours on Photoshop and create like the perfect body and post it, right? Whereas Twitter is a lot more unrefined. And so it lends itself to that conversational feature, you know, especially with things like replies, ads, all that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious, like, just to just backtrack a bit, like what, where did this obsession with defining your own reality come from? Because this yeah. is very evident this that is this a, is something this that you're a, super passionate about. Mm-hmm. But, like what sparked perfect, that? Perfect segue into, into the next, uh, next section about like defining reality like that's a big one this was like a thing that i actually coined i guess recently uh you know through yeah so like so like uh i'm a huge fan of of the use of psychedelics for for therapy not for recreational usage and like a big thing is is when i take these like like psychedelics to kind of like therapy to go through some therapy is uh like i coin like i coin like terms and like understandings of concepts like i take concepts boil them down to like simple simple terms uh, and one of them was like, you know, like, like making reality your bitch. Like, it's like, it's like you live in reality, but it's like, it's like making something raw dog your bitch reality. is like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like raw dog in reality is like, it's like, and then it eventually became like making, like making something, like making something your bitch is like, you know, you kind of like dominate over it. And, you know, you, the one thing that you absolutely want to dominate over is your reality. 
so making like reality your bitch and like you know defining your own reality is is insane like once you like focus on that and like centering on that like life becomes a completely different game mm-hmm. because again like i said like there's no like there's two people don't experience the same reality right you can make mm-hmm. another person experience the reality that you experience again by like making certain decisions and, and articulating yourself in certain ways mm-hmm. and that kind of like became because in first year university i realized a lot of things about myself so pretty much i was so let's backtrack a little bit it was a sob story brother (laughs) yeah let's backtrack a little so like starting out in in high school no let's go earlier let's start from the very beginning how'd you get to canada how'd i get to canada oh god so yeah how'd i get to canada so in in 1998 i popped out of my mother in in jordan my mom (laughs) and then moved moved back to syria spent 10 years in syria like lived lived pretty well off to be honest like i wouldn't say i i grew up upper class i didn't say i grew up lower class like a nice middle class family out of syria you know like had a good family went to good schooling you know like went to like i didn't go to public schooling in syria i went to private schooling in syria which is like a little like i had like up, up upper upper middle class type of lifestyle went to private school you know learned english french went to a little bit of tech you know so like like was well exposed to like different languages etc and whatnot Mm-hmm. but uh eventually came to canada in like 2009 2009 to two and i kind of got stuck here because of the war so if you're unfamiliar syria has been in a civil war for the past 12 years uh, and unfortunately you can't go back to the country when there's rockets flying left and right so i was <laughs> stuck here for the for the rest of my life and kind of just was forced to adopt and, and if you know how it is especially if, if you're coming here to stay you have one mentality but if you're coming to a country and, and you're forced to stay, uh, there's a little bit of different mentality, especially the dynamic at home will be a little bit different than, than a family that's mm-hmm. coming here to grow and flourish. Like things were not set up for me to grow and flourish here. Things were set up for me to come here and go back, go back to Syria. Like it wasn't necessarily a permanent visit that we were aiming for. Think, it became yeah. permanent. And then kind of grew up, grew up that way and kind of just got along with, with different peoples. And the certain group that I fell into was sports. In basketball so my whole life I was kind of focused on basketball and had uh, hoop dreams and ball was life so I was just focused on getting into the NBA and literally wake up spend like over eight hours a day playing basketball right after I'm done school I'd go to the YMCA and just play basketball all day just kind of did that and then eventually that was my life pretty much up until grade 10 high school made it to the basketball team in high school and kind of just came to a realization that the NBA is not an achievable goal anymore uh, and kind of just like was I kind of wanted to change so like I, I kind of like been growing up this lifestyle I kind of realized like a lot of things about the people I was around and, and like what would I was what I was doing and, and my goals and, and adventures and I realized like something in my life was was off I couldn't put a finger on it again this was in grade 10 so like I was not too wise I could just kind of like I had a feeling that that I wanted to switch things up and so I read uh, Steve Jobs's book and that kind of put my life in a downward spiral that ended up going upwards. So I pretty much just read that and kind of read Steve Jobs' story. And I was able to like sympathize with his story a lot. Uh, and like what a lot of people don't know is because Steve Jobs is Syrian, but that's not the reason why I was able to sympathize with his story a lot. It was more so like through his struggle and, and how he got out of his struggle. So I was able to sympathize through it. I kind of just followed in his steps. And the biggest one was tech. So I wasn't super into tech before grade 10, but kind of started started programming, started doing robotics from a robotic class in our high school. And the teacher named Mr. White, he kind of really like 
pulled me out of the pulled me out of the sports and and troublemaking sphere that I was involved in. So up until a great time, I was going to the office every day, getting suspended every other week, mm-hmm. and kind of just focusing on like that stimuli. Like I loved stimuli and I loved that stimuli. But you know, through the help of, of Steve Jobs and his teacher, I kind of like stepped out of it. And that kind of like this is like another point to like reinforce like like how important teachers are, where it's like this teacher was literally like my second father where he was just giving me advice. And I know Fuad has a very similar story with this of a teacher who kind of drove him that way. It's like when you're at that age, you spend probably like what, eight hours at, at school. And maybe if your parents work like a few jobs, you're not seeing your parents every day, maybe for the weekends. And if they work on the weekends, you're not getting a lot of interaction with your brain, with your parents. So after like age of 12, as my friend Jerogan said, you're kind of grown up by your friends and teachers. And like this teacher kind of helped me move into tech and, and figure things out that way. And that's the, that's the road I took. And through that process, I kind of had to make sacrifices. So I had to sacrifice all my friends that I, that I knew, which was the basketball kids, because, you know, like it just, it just wasn't working out anymore. So I think in like grade 11, grade 10, I kind of ditched, ditched that friend group, cut off all my friends, started looking for new friends, new hobbies, new people. And that kind of set off my, uh, my path to, to, to go into engineering and whatnot. And then after grade 12, I went to university with what I think now is not the best mindset, but the mindset of kind of just wanting to start fresh. So no one that from my high school that went to my university, I wanted to talk to. No one that I that I knew going to university I wanted mm-hmm. to interact with. I kind of just wanted complete a clean slate. Complete yeah. clean slate. You know, I just wanted a complete clean slate. And I was just focused on one thing, which was getting to the program that I was in, which was mechatronics engineering. And I would study up to like 10 hours a day. Like this is not an exaggeration. I'd wake up at nine and I'd go to the basement or I'd go to the library and just spend the whole day there. Like absolutely, absolutely like no exaggeration. So a lot of focus on that. And that just became unhealthy. So I did that and pretty much had no friends all the first year, uh, which is which is a terrible idea to do. So I kind of just, I thought the way to do it was just to grind on your own and solve things on your own. I was very self-sufficient, very independent, uh, as opposed to kind of like developing a friend, a, fr- a friend group, et cetera, whatnot, to help and live off of. I was just very focused on doing everything myself. So I was solving problem sets top to bottom myself. I was learning course content, solving projects top to bottom myself. And that, 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 that kind of just wore me out insanely. And at the same time, I was looking for summer jobs and I got into this summer job at, a, at the housing department. So the people responsible for student housing at McMaster. And I was literally thrown, I was, I was like the, I was finessed by them. I was told I'd be doing like an engineering position, but it was pretty much just like a IT Excel, Excel sheet uh, manipulation position. And I was really given a chair, a computer, and thrown in a res room and I had absolutely no coworkers. So I was spending eight hours a day isolated in this room at the age of, of 18, just kind of working away at Excel sheets. And within three months, I was the most depressed I've ever been in my life. And I just realized like something here is wrong. Like I was able to take a pause and kind of just like look at myself, look at my actions, look at how I was, I was, I was doing certain things and just kind of like, like take a little break and say like, hey, like the thoughts that are, that are going through my mind right now, are not thoughts that should be going through my mind. When you're stuck alone for a long time, like it's like it's a very common thing. It's actually like a torture tactic with the CIA is they isolate you for a long, long and extended period of time. The and that was Bay of Hamilton. Life for, McMaster. Yeah. <laughs> McMaster Bay. Summer, I was literally doing, I was doing like, <laughs> exactly. McMaster Bay. Guantanamo Bay has nothing compared to McMaster <laughs> Bay. 
I was, I was basically working eight hours a day alone. And I was living in, in the summer house that I was living in during this time. I was living alone. So pretty much I was alone the entire day. And that much solitude at a young age it can absolutely drive someone crazy. And that's exactly what it did. It drove me crazy. But uh, like, like a lot of times I feel like that craziness is, is, is my definition of crazy. It's just something's like wrong with my life. And I'm not, I, I can't like when I like identify these like moments where I think like, you know, something's wrong is like, look, I can't produce work that I used to be able to produce, like, you know, like, that's like a sign where it's like, you know, like, the, the thoughts that are going through my mind are not happy thoughts, like certain activities that I'm partaking in, I kind of just like notice that uh, when things are like bad in my life, I do certain actions. And just like, that's just happened from going to the like, a, like being down bad 20 times in my life, I kind of just can recognize these episodes and patterns where it's like, like, hey, if I'm doing x, y, and z, something's wrong. And I was doing x, y, and z. So obviously something was wrong, loops. but it was yeah. very yeah, so something was very wrong because I was doing these things like much more than I used to before, like much more than I've ever done it. And like it was it was very bad. And like I was slacking off at work. I realized like this is not it. And at one point I kind of just stopped showing off to work and I realized like I have to do something about this. And I don't like tradition. I don't like uh, doing things the way they should be done. You know, why would I follow the rules if I could break them is one of my favorite quotes. Uh, so obviously like like when... Like, again, I never got diagnosed uh, by like a professional therapist or whatnot, but I absolutely had like a case of, of extremely bad depression. Mm -hmm. But uh, I know. Throughout what's going on. So I kind of was just looking up like how to deal with these certain things. And I remembered a lot of the stuff that Steve Jobs used to do was meditation and psychedelics. So I started looking and digging deeper and deeper into that. And that's when I got hooked on to Joe Rogan. And that's when I kind of learned about the powers of meditation and the powers mm -hmm. of the, the psychedelic drugs to kind of like to get out of slumps and to kind of like shift and 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 control what's going on with your brain, like how you react to things. Right. And that's where I started. I started going deeper and deeper into it. So I'd watch like one hour episodes of Drew Rogan talking about meditation, interviewing people who meditate, interviewing people who use psychedelics. And from there, I kind of just said, like, like, you know, like. I don't know. I didn't have like a negative annotation towards going to therapy. I just kind of like didn't, didn't view it. I didn't just, did, I just didn't think that was a solution that would work. And I'll talk about that later down the road because that, that uh, view kind of changed recently, but uh, I ended up finding about the Pasana organization through Reddit and I just dug, dug, dug. And it's like how to learn meditation. And then I eventually landed on a subreddit that talked about the Pasana retreats. And it's pretty much so. If you're not, if you don't know what a Pasana retreat is, it's a 14-day meditation retreat that is absolutely free, and it's provided by an organization called like Vipassana Dhamma. And it's a 14-day retreat, absolutely funded by donations. You don't have to pay a single dollar, but uh, there's like a few free prerequisites before you get in. So pretty much, I was lucky enough to to land a spot in the end of the summer. I still had about one month left of work to do, but uh, I knew that the value that I would get out of that one month of work, which is probably a couple hundred bucks and absolutely no mm -hmm. learning skill versus getting out of this slump and like experiencing this experience, which is acclaimed by thousands of people on Reddit to be like an absolutely life-changing experience. I said, this is not a hard choice. <laughs> uh, let me go do this, this meditation yeah. retreat. And then the next day, like I really went to work. I told my boss like, hey, I'm quitting called my parents said hey like uh, in three days like I'm just gonna be missing for two weeks and uh like it was surprising to 
like it was just like like yeah like i'm going to quebec like i was very like sly with it i didn't like like tell them exactly what was going on per se but uh, i kind of just kind of sound like i'll be in this location I sent them like the location of the retreat and i'm like i won't so have my sketch. phone <laughs> yeah i won't have my phone for for two weeks like that was like pretty much all the information that, they, that i gave them uh, and for some reason like uh i was able to kind of work my way around like the less like with parents the less information you give them the less power yeah. you give them so that's a good oh, no trick. phone for two weeks i'm surprised that they, they, they didn't dig any deeper than that any kids listening out there so information is power so less is, less information you provide someone the more you're able to, to i know you got the questions after the row. i want to hear the after story now <laughs> yeah so so pretty much so the vipassana retreat you go 14 days you have to practice noble silence which means for 14 days you're not allowed to communicate with anyone that means like no verbal communication no physical communication no like non-verbal like actions communication so like no waving no eye contact no speech so for 14 days no communication no phone no writing no reading pretty much zero stimuli like the only stimuli you get is from your meditation and the schedule is at 4 a.m you wake up you meditate from 4 to 8 a.m 8 a.m you eat breakfast and then from when as soon as you're done breakfast you meditate from let's say like you take an hour to, to eat breakfast so from 9 a.m all the way up until 12, you do a meditation, then you get an hour rest from 12 to 1. And again, 1, all the way down to 5 p.m. You meditate, 5 to 6, you get a break. 6 to all the way till 9, you meditate, and then you go to bed. So that's an accumulation of about 10 hours of meditation a day, 10 to 12, depending on if you choose to, to use the breaks or not. Yeah. So I went from that so the, the, the so you probably asked me where is this place? So there's places no, all I see. over. How'd you memorize that schedule? That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, I have it right in front of me, but I didn't memorize it. <laughs> but uh, but uh, so like the way so yeah, so so then the issue came up is like, okay, like I got into this program. I know that I'm excited to do it, but how the hell am I gonna get there? Like where so this place was up in a place called Montebello, Quebec, mm-hmm. which is like if you look at Ottawa, it's like right across the street from from Ottawa, it's Quebec, and like that linearly to the right is Montebello so that's a seven hour drive up and it's like I'm fucking 18 or I think I was 17 18 yeah 18 ish so I'm like how the hell am I gonna get up there like how the hell am I gonna get all the way up to there so they provide like a post board for people driving up and pretty much I just kind of started posting like hey I need to get out from Toronto etc and then one person replies to me he's like I'm driving out from Toronto so I say like oh damn this is a great opportunity let me just message this guy get in contact with him so get in contact with him he's like yeah i'm leaving from north york meet me at this gas station and i'll take you up with me and again like i'm, I'm 18 years old and i'm just like yeah like, crazy. i see abs- i see absolutely nothing wrong with going and meeting up with an 18 year old that's going to claim to take me to, to montebello yeah. quebec and that's exactly what that's happened. how the best story start right <laughs> at a gas station with a stranger that's a lot that's how a lot of stories <laughs> start. uh yeah like i literally get into the car with like this 31 year old uh jewish lawyer that's also doing this this meditation and uh yeah like we literally just meet and everyone's like hey 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 like everyone's here for a reason and we just drive up together for seven hours complete strangers we land and then we land we get we arrive at montebello we drive in first thing you do is that you walk in they strip you of all your belongings like like your phone you put in your phone the only thing you can take with you is like your bag like they search your bag make sure you're not bringing like books or anything and again, it's like it's like books, a camp, hey, the forbidden again, item. 
<laughs> it's <laughs> like contraband. for your own benefit, right? So like once you're like once you're that, then you're given a room. I was sharing a room with like four other guys, like bunk beds. Uh, and then you know, like they give you a little warm up. They tell you like right now, like they give you like a warm up introduction. And they say like after this is done, like you start practicing noble silence, and you start following the schedule that I just laid out for you. And it was just an, an insane experience. Like that was one of the that was probably like a very impactful experience that set me on this journey of making reality my bitch and defining my own reality because that's where like I learned a lot of these concepts that I kind of like I'm talking about and again this was five years ago and I still haven't deciphered that experience like it's every day not every day that's that's exaggeration but like every year or so like I kind of look back in my life look back at what's going on and reflect and like I'm able to still extract like Mm -hmm. lessons and use concepts learned from that retreat on my day-to-day life and, but the central theme again is around like defining your own reality and, and kind of like what is reality. So like if when you're meditating for 14 hours a day, you start to start to question a lot about like what reality is and pretty much the meditation practice that they do is called Vipassana. So you start with, you start the first three days, four days, you start with a like basic like training, which is not Vipassana. It's called Anapana meditation, which is you focus on the breath coming out of your nose. So you're focusing on your breaths, like coming in and out. And like the theory behind that is with like this type of meditation, like with meditation in particular, like that they teach is a lot of people, I think, mix up meditation with relaxation. So meditation is not relaxation. So you're not looking to meditate to be relaxed. You're looking to meditate to practice. So like going to the meditating is synonymous to going to the gym. It's not synonymous to go into the spa, that type of meditation. There's no single type of meditation. But when you go, when you go to meditate, you're basically going to the gym and you're training your brain in a certain mm-hmm. way, right? Like you train your muscles when you go to the gym, when you meditate, mm-hmm. you train your brain. So you're not doing this. This is what they tell you. Like, like this is not going to be fun. Like you're not here for like fun and games. Like it's actually going to be like pretty bad. And like, you're going to be sad. And like, there's going to be moments where like you question if you want to stay or not. Like there's moments where you question if you want to mm-hmm. keep meditating but you have to push through those. Like that's where, that's where the beauty comes from. Same way when you're on your last rep, like getting that one more rep in is where you extrapolate the value of of hit the wall. Get past it. Exactly. Yeah. Like getting past the wall is where, where you get, where you reap the greatest benefits in like all aspects of life, especially with Mm -hmm. meditation. So that's like the central theme that that they kind of remind you of. And it's like, what are you practicing? So when you go to the gym, you want bigger muscles. When you meditate, like, what are you, what are you working out? What are you practicing? And you're practicing controlling your brain. You're practicing controlling your mm-hmm. subconscious. You're practicing controlling how you interact with the world. And like the biggest, like, like the one that I always remind is, is like exactly like there's the world. It gives you a stimulus and then you react to it. So a lot of times you can react to it subconsciously, react to it immediately. But if you can basically tap into your subconscious and shape it and do it and make it react the way that you want it to react, that's when you start living life like truly and you start like seeing reality mm-hmm. for what it is because there's probably like, a lot of things you do a lot of things that you react to that you just kind of react to based off past experiences based off like certain reactions like if you were bullied as a systems. kid and yeah. someone yeah if someone like if you were bullied as a kid and you developed like certain defense mechanisms you react to like a certain re- or a certain input a certain way but you don't know that you're reacting that way you just do that mm-hmm. reaction but through meditation and like like Meditation, like another analogy they gave is like, it's kind of like surgery for your brain. Like you're open up, you're the same way we do surgery. Like when you first do the incision, there's blood, there's a little bit of pus and you're going to go in, you take out like the bad, the bad, uh, the bad cells and you seed 
like good new cells to grow. And then you also have to like close up the, the wound to kind of like do the surgery. And like, that's like the three steps of meditation where it's like, when you first start off with meditation, like it's actually like very like shit. It's actually not fun. And like, like you feel pains, like you feel like your ass is hurting. Like you get a lot of anxiety. Like you want to stop, you want to not meditate. And then after like a certain while you start to like, start to like, like realize these feelings like you realize like these are reactions Mm -hmm. to me sitting down like me sitting down for five hours makes my ass hurt but it's like like pain and and happiness are still feelings like pain like in your brain pain is a is a chemical reaction and happiness is a chemical reaction right like serotonin is just a chemical it's not good or bad like like it's just a chemical like if you look at it like biologically like it is what it is same way with pain so like if you notice the burning monk like if anyone knows Mm -hmm. that picture it's a monk who wanted to protest certain things. So he burnt himself alive, but he didn't move a single single finger while he was doing it because he reached a point where he can kind of look at like that stimuli and, and those feelings objectively where it's like, this is pain, but it's like our brains naturally from kids formulate like pain is bad, right? But he's able to meditate to the extent where it's like, he's able to control, his, that control part. his reality yeah. where it's like, where it's like pain is just pain. Pain is not good. Pain is not bad. And I'm not going to react to pain. Same way where it's like love, happiness, all these things, we kind of attach like a third mm-hmm. layer to. We attach a good or bad to. But in reality, is like there is no good or bad, mm-hmm. right? Like people who like like murdering people, you know, like like killing people, they're looked at as bad because they cause people suffering. But at the same time, it's like, like their brain is literally wired differently to enjoy yeah. that, you know? But if you can just kind of like, like that's that just kind of shows like how like, malleable and fluid the brain is where it's like there's no one set way to program the brain but if you live in a society because you know we live, in a, live society, in a society that's a snippet programmed a certain <laughs> that's a fucking snippet end the episode <laughs> well, welcome back to next iteration you're, like <laughs> you're, you're taught and you're kind of like told to live a certain way you're told to react to things a certain way right yeah. like you have to react to things this way and like that's again like that's just like from years and years and maybe not even years like decades of generations and generations of 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 uh, what you're taught Socialization. So you're kind of just taking your brain like decomposing it and building it back up to kind of just say like like look at things objectively where it's literally like there's no such thing as like as like like true happiness is that true happiness is being able to just see reality for what it is and, and just see everything objectively where it's like if someone slaps me it's not like a bad thing like you can just kind of like look at it and kind of like analyze the pain analyze that and like that was like the the biggest takeaway from that retreat for me which is like like there is no reality, but the reality you make again, like things are just inputs and inputs coming into your brain, which is like your mm-hmm. computer and like how that pro that, how that computer is programmed is how you live reality. And if you choose to let that computer be programmed by social media, by dogma, by people around you and not by yourself. And if you don't decide to like look into your computer source code and kind of break the, the source code down and kind of like reformat it every year, not just once. Imagine, imagine Google didn't update their servers every year, mm-hmm. right? Imagine Google still is running on their servers from six years ago, serving, you know, like that, that world, the world is always changing. Like time does mm-hmm. not stop. The world keeps you moving forward. You get left behind. And like, you kind of have to yeah. tap in. Yeah. You have to tap into your source code, which is your brain and like constantly be refactoring it, constantly be updating it so that you're able to kind of like experience life and reality in a good way and actually achieve happiness. Like happiness is not like what I think a lot of people understand it to be like, there's an an understanding of happiness that the world tells you that Hollywood Mm -hmm. tells you. 
you know, like being, being in love, being, uh, having four or five kids. And it's like, like, as you ask yourself, like, why is that happiness? It's because the, the feelings that you get from having those things release serotonin in your brain and serotonin is something that you enjoy. Right. But again, if you break it down to like, what is good, what is bad, it's all a reaction. Like it's all your, your source codes reaction to these inputs. And like, that was where the whole like defining your own reality came from where it's like, if you can control how we react, you can control mm-hmm. your reality. And uh, pretty much after that retreat, I remember like a very like vivid point is like, I was just the happiest I've ever been in my life. Like I've never been happier prior to that so retreat. I it was a good experience though. So the experience itself was like, not that, like it was actually very traumatizing till the end. Like it's like, <laughs> like it's like around like day eight. And I think like, uh, like Jack Dorsey has done this retreat multiple times. And like, he's tweeted about his experience like uh, he has like a really long thread and it's mm-hmm. usually around day eight is like when a lot of people drop out and like a lot of people, a lot of people like start going through it because it gets like really rough. Like it gets really, really, really rough because like I said, like it's a surgery, like you start to like, same way with like, uh, how do I put this? Same way, like when you go to a therapist, like their job is to kind of dig into your brain, dig into your past traumas, past histories and see how those things are affecting the way we react, the way you act and react to things in your current day. Mm-hmm. That's also done. So that's also like when you do that, you do that through a therapist and like sign to someone to guide you through it and kind of help you figure this out. But that also is a very much so achievable through these meditation retreats because you sit there and you start like connecting the dots and like a lot of like ugly things you've experienced, mm-hmm. like a lot of trauma, a lot of, a lot of things that you'd never wanted to deal with come to the surface because you're sitting there in silence for five hours on your ass. And once you yeah. stop, once you get past like the, the fidgeting and this hurts and that hurts, like you're just able to focus and like you're able to get like deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. And like these things just come to service. The science, I don't know how to explain the science behind that. But uh, it's, like it's literally it's, synopsis to, to therapy. Like you, you dig deeper and yes. deeper into your brain and you dig these memories out and you face them and you can understand them and then you get past them. But as, as you dig, like a lot of ugly stuff comes up and like, like mm-hmm. I, there was a lot of people that were crying and like, I didn't cry personally, but I had like it's very okay like bad you. nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> it is actually cry on the okay. podcast too. We but, can uh, uh, edit out and post, yeah. you know, we're here. This is yeah. a safe space. Yeah. Yeah. If Mike Tyson can cry on a podcast. Exactly. Exactly. Cry on a podcast. 100%. But uh, like, yeah, like I had like a lot of like terrible nightmares. Like I had a lot of like, I wanted to quit. But again, like I went up there with like a complete stranger so i had no way to leave like i had i was literally almost like that guy like, left and uh like, I was literally like, <laughs> it's questionable whether i would have been stuck there forever but i was like stuck there like it's like you cannot leave like you have to get through this because like if i had a car i would have left i'm being so serious like it's like i was literally like suffering to the extent where like i do not want to do this i was just, like skipping re- skipping meditation sessions but they come to you and they literally grab you out of your room and they're like like go meditate a little bitch like you know what do you think you're doing like you're not getting away like it's actually like like it's pretty like cutthroat but like it's cutthroat for a reason because like it's like it's a methodology like they've done this they've seen this they know what you have to do they know what you have to not do and they force you to do it so it, it like it gives off a very culty vibe like if you go there like there's like chance like everyone does everything the same and like it's like it's like it's like people cook for you and like you're kind of like told not to do this do no that. meat right and they like you you yeah, there's no meat. You can't eat meat. Everything's vegetarian. Food's provided to you, and it's like fucking good food. Oh yeah, it's gourmet. Uh, yeah, yeah, like it's not gourmet, but it's like proper Indian food. Like uh, yeah, so yeah. they have the recipes are well, and like everyone's like expected to do like a chore. Like you're supposed to like clean the washroom, clean the mm-hmm. room. 
like it's like communal living so like that's like a lot of reasons why they have their costs down wait so, so it seems how like do you a know, cult. how do you know it's for your son if you're not allowed to talk to each other yeah, that's the thing you don't like like you just see something dirty like you're supposed to clean it like you know it's like and then there's like a little board where it's like who cleaned when and like you see something like it hasn't been cleaned in like a day you're supposed to be like you know like, it's very like it's again like it's a, like it seems like a cult like when you first go you're like is this like a freaking call like what the fuck did i just come join and there's like a lot of like chants because like like a lot of buddhists like it's based off buddhism and like buddhism yeah. uses a lot of like mantras mm-hmm. and chants and if you don't know that then like you're probably like oh shit like i just joined the cult it's like not a cult but it's very culty it is very culty but uh like it, de- it delivers like there's a lot of uh there's probably like a lot of opinions out there mm-hmm. but uh, i think like it's all based on based on why you go why you go to one of these tree- retreats and what you want to get out mm-hmm. of it and if you and, and that's what anything you have life if you have a why execution is not that hard like getting things done is not that mm-hmm. hard but as soon as like like this was like out of david goggins book where it's like he was running or he was in the navy seals and like his both his shins were broken and he couldn't run anymore, but he's like, I only kept going because my brain would tell me like, why the fuck are you still doing this? But I had an answer and it's because like, I wanted to make Navy SEALs training my bitch. Like I wanted to make, uh, what was it called again? What's the hell week? He's like, I wanted to make hell week my oh, bitch. Shit. I wanted to make buds my bitch. So like whenever that why rose to my head where it's like, you're suffering, why you keep suffering? Like it wasn't even, it was an instant, like I had an instant answer. So same way when I was at this retreat and like I would be suffering and and absolutely like saying like why the fuck am i doing this it's like i'm doing this because i know i need to fix something i need to discover something about myself so i had a why and like that's like for everything in life if you have a why the suffering mm-hmm. will 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 lose but uh if you don't have a why then then the suffering will always win because you can't rationalize like why why you're going through pain but if you know the, the reward of the pain and you have like a, a drive behind it it's like very easy to just keep going because you can quickly suppress that that emotion and uh tell it like because i want to do this like this is my goal so getting that why is also very important yeah there's two buddhist tenets that are just real quick there's two buddhist tenets that just hearing your story reminded me of mm-hmm. the first is that life is suffering and yeah. the second is um impermanence is not that you own nothing it's that nothing owns you yeah exactly um, that's like a big one with the with the reaction to stimuli mm-hmm yeah, so I mean, we'll creep up in an hour. So yeah, I want to hear your mm. why first, and then you already know what our final question is going to be. Uh, the billboardy question. You already yes, know. Sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so, what was my why for this retreat? No, what's your why in general? What's my why in life? Yes, what's your why question mark. What's my why question mark? Why do you live? Why do I do what I do? Why do I live? Yeah, this actually took me a very like I still don't have this figured out completely. Mm-hmm. Like this why is always like it's always changing but uh mm-hmm. like before it was it was very superficial and i think everyone either has gone through this or is currently going through this where it was like my why was to to get rich my why was to to work at like a big company my why was it was very superficial like for many years it would shift but it would shift to like money it would shift to to business it would shift to, to a certain certain thing mm-hmm. and then like through like a recent like like like, like uh therapy session I kind of just narrowed down on my why and I kind of realized <laughs> that uh, like, like I've, I've done like a lot of harm in the world, but I haven't done as much good. And my why is like, that's when I realized like, like I've caused a lot of people suffering in my life, but I've also caused a fair amount of good. And now that I look back at it, it's like the, the things that made me happy and like the, the things that actually got me to like enjoy my life was were the good things. So just adding like the positivity back into the world and, and in any means that, that in any way that you could do that. So like, 
getting you can you can still get rich if you focus on adding value to society like making other people happier making other people's lives better if that's your focus i feel like wealth will come your way as opposed to you chasing like money and wealth if you just chase and focus on on improving like even one person's life around you if you can focus one person's life and then scale that up to improve multiple people's lives and just helping people like the 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 like the joy you see on people's faces and just kind of like knowing that you've made someone's life a little bit better is is my why to be honest and it sounds super corny it sounds super cheesy mm-hmm. and you've probably heard it like many times and like from many of the instagram models but once you actually like start going out of your way and helping people I'm hearing it from another instagram that. model so i don't know what the difference is yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> once you actually like like step out of your way and kind of just focus on on adding like and doing good to society mm-hmm. realize like like there's a much bigger picture to, to humanity and there's like this thing and and like i love nasim talab nicholas talab that guy's like my, my second father and there's like a little pyramid like an upside down pyramid and it's like uh like true true courage is when you sacrifice your own personal comfort for like the greater or like a greater level. So it's like the levels are like yourself, your family, you know, like your country, humanity, and then like the world, right? Like the higher, the more, when you make a sacrifice for like a level above you. So if you sacrifice your own comfort, if you sacrifice something like, if you sacrifice something for like, you know, like humanity, that's like courage. Like that's what it is. Like that's what, life should be and like that's that's the life that i want to live mm-hmm. but uh i have not been doing that much i've just been cheating on tests and getting caught for academic dishonesty <laughs> i always said this episode to bone. <laughs> <laughs> bones the prof for the the course you got caught on oh sorry i had a, a celebrity appearance my bad <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i'm wondering if your answer then is going to tie into the billboard question at all there so yes. i guess we'll now is a, as good a time as ever to ask it so hasham yes if there was a billboard and you could put any message on it that would reach millions even billions of people what would you put on it and why oh man I'm, this is a tough one i'm gonna have to think about it give me a second all right i thought about it uh it's a quote from from steve jobs's book so uh, again like like that's that's like a biography that's like super personal to me Again, because I related to like a lot of aspects to it, and it, it kind of took me, took me through a lot of things in my life, especially at a young age. Like it was like my textbook for life. Like a lot of people have like religion to guide them through, you know, like early ages and whatnot. And like this was like my textbook of life growing up. And the certain quote that I, that I like would put on the billboard would be a quote from that book. And Steve Jobs said, and I quote: "Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life." Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of other people's opinions drown out your own inner voice. And I think everything we spoke about today, from the social media to the meditation, falls right under that. It's like, you only live one life. And like, it sounds, you probably heard the super corny and super, super, uh, it's like probably like the third quote on Instagram you see every day. But once you actually like grasp it and you realize like, like when you die, no one's going to remember what you said. When you say something to someone, they probably forget it the next day. Mm-hmm. Like when you reject, when you get rejected, when you fail, all these things only matter to you. But what hurts is like your, you know, like your, your under your your desired reaction from people when you don't get it. That's what hurts. But when you realize like, like 
just don't waste your life like living what don't waste your life living someone else's life and like live in dogma and live in live in living living to get reactions from other people is absolutely not the way to live and i lived that life for a very long time Mm -hmm. and once you just stop like giving a fuck and make like reality your bitch you live like a very different different life and like the world's the world becomes your oyster like even even if you're not a like a richest billionaire in the world I can tell you right now, someone who lives like through these words is probably much more happier and much more successful than a billionaire. Like we associate like billionaires and and people who are extremely successful with with happiness and success and being smart. But a lot of that like plays into luck. Like there's like if you read the book Full by Randomness, you realize like mm-hmm. a lot of things that we slap success and happiness associated to have luck involved with it. Living and being living your own life and being your own person and kind of just pursuing your own goals and listening to your own inner thoughts you don't need luck for that you just need mm-hmm. to, to look inwards and discover like who you are your past and what you want your future to be and then like another another super interesting quote that i would put right under it would be like a like a fall a start a star with a little asterisk would be like the cost of making decisions to please others instead of yourself is misery and like that one is like mm. a big slap in the face like it's like literally like the cost of making decisions to please others instead of yourself is misery that's just like like straight facts. Like I don't even have to explain that one. Now I'll leave it. I'll leave it what it is. Like you will live a very miserable life if you're living based on other people's reactions, based on other what other people think of you and what other people value. If you value like one thing, live that thing. If nobody like accepts you for that, something is a little wrong there because like we are like social beings. But trust me, like if someone sees that you're pure, you're authentic, and you're vulnerable no one will ever reject you. Like, that's the biggest fear. It's like, if I make myself vulnerable, I'm going to get rejected. And if you do make yourself vulnerable and someone rejects you, be very happy for that rejection because you're naturally, like, weeding out the bad out of your life. So if someone, if you act a certain way and you act like who you really are and someone rejects you for that, that is a very good process because not only do you want to attract the good, you want to eliminate the bad. And the only way you do that is by living your, like, being yourself and not living through dogma. So this is probably going to have to be an electronic billboarded scrolling text. To, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty big message. <laughs> Might have to neuralink this into people's minds and uh, force them on an artificial Vipassana retreat to uh, yeah. come up with this knowledge of themselves. But no, that was a beautiful thing. It reminds me of, um, I think it was Naval that said this, that uh, if you're so smart, why aren't you happy? Um, yeah, you know, we, we, yeah, we, we associate um, like money, success, uh, with happiness we associate you know net worth whatever it is but you know you can be the smartest guy in the world if you're not happy you're obviously not smart enough to make yourself happy you know what i mean mm-hmm. um, yeah. and then really really keeping sight of like what matters to you right um it, it's funny too because there's all these surveys that go out the world happiness rankings that show that um it's not money it's not status it's nothing like that that's you know associated with happiness and it's funny the lessons we can learn from the happiest places on earth because sometimes they're very, very different places and they don't necessarily have a common theme. But I think what, what they do have is, you know, that, un, well, I think the theme of that sacrifice, right, with the inverted pyramid and also just, you know, people doing what they want to do for themselves, right? Not for yeah. societal pressure, not for, um, you know, fame, accolades, et cetera, but choosing their own reality, raw dog and reality, right? Raw dog and reality. <laughs> yeah, just to like add on that super duper quick. Uh, I got it from Sapiens, but no, like Yuval Harari postulated, kind of building on that, we have GDP now, but like, why not add another measure of success, which should be, can't remember if we called it like GDH or like GHI, mm. 
like gross domestic happiness or gross mm-hmm. happiness index or something for a country. But you would think that that would be a valuable, valuable metric to keep track of, especially moving into the future too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing being that um, among very successful people, one thing you commonly see is that they have a very high internal locus of control. So to mm. your point, Hisham, if you're letting other people dictate the choices that you make, then you're going to be very unhappy, right? That, that's having an external locus of control because you're letting mm. other people do that for you. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing things on your terms for your reasons, that's the definition of making life your bitch. Yes. yes sir. You, make your, you want to make life your abs. You want to make everything your bitch. Everything. Goal. Until something everything. isn't your bitch and then you get cheated. Until something, <laughs> until something makes you their bitch <laughs> and, then, and then it's a bit of a struggle. But, uh, you know, you always losing, come out losing teaches you how to win. Exactly. Oh, deep, eh? that was as a... long as you always come up on top. Eh? Yeah. Anyways, I think that's a beautiful place to end this recording. Um, yes, thank you, listeners. Uh, thank you for bearing with us. This is a longer episode, but very excited to have Hisham on the team. Uh, we think you'll do some really interesting growth hacky type shit with us. Uh, hopefully this gets, you know, in front of more listeners and we can provide some value to everyone. So. And uh, to anyone listening before we completely wrap up is yeah. uh, we love feedback. We love suggestions. So if you have feedback, if you have suggestions, like just please shoot us a, shoot us an email, shoot us a message. Any, any three of us, if you want to like be a part of the podcast in any shape or form, we're always looking for more, for more power. We have a bunch of ideas, but three people is not enough to execute all of our ideas. So, you know, if you're have some spare time, especially with lockdown, you want to help us like promote, you want to help us develop, you want to help us reach out to people just shoot us a message or shoot me a message. I'll be the, the person dealing with the growth side of stuff. And like, we'll get you on, like, we'll get your ideas. You know, we love, we love feedback. So yeah, just like reach out to us. All of us answer uh, all of our social medias. So uh, we want to grow this to like beyond a podcast, like a international thing. So please, please reach out. That's like a big one. Like, we want to take over life. the world. Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan yeah. has to be shitting his pants right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sent him an instant DM. He hasn't responded, but I think it's because he's scared. So. We're going to be the first podcast on Mars. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> I'm well, sneaking was, a little thumbnail onto Starship. Well, yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, know, you didn't hear that. <laughs> oh, right, that was our chief growth officer. Thank you, Sean. CGO. Thank you guys oh, for having me on. Of course. Anyways, easy. Okay, let me end this. Easy. If you like the episode, follow us on Spotify and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Our website was built by Face Solutions, logo designed by Charmeni, and music by Wonderly Music. Thank you for listening. Think you got it? Nah, we're on the next iteration. <laughs>